Hello, and welcome to Book Club of One. I am Jacob, a librarian, and through the course of a year I read a lot of books. Join me as I detail and share my impressions of the books that have entertained or educated me the most. Welcome back to Book Club of One. This is Season 2, Episode 9, and it's a celebration. This is now officially one whole year of Book Club of One. And to celebrate, I've decided to activate Anchor's sponsorship option, so you will now hear some ads with each episode. So this has been over a year of sharing 10 books a month. And just out of general curiosity, did this show or our social media accounts ever inspire you to read a book? If yes, please share by tagging Book Club of Uno on Instagram or email us at bookclubofuno at gmail. Anyways, let's get on to the books for this April. And our first book is The Passenger. It's by Ulrich Alexander Boschwitz, a German-born author who wrote under the name John Grain. He left Germany in 1935 for Oslo, Norway, where he wrote the novel Menesham Neben dem Leben. It was published in Sweden, in Swedish, as Meneskor Uten Fulf, or however that would be pronounced in Sweden, Swedish, in 1937. Boschwitz soon moved to Luxembourg, where he wrote another novel, Der Resident, which was published in England and New York as The Man Who Took Trains and The Fugitive, respectively, and in France as Le Fugitive. In 1939, Boschwitz settled in England, where he was briefly interned and subsequently shipped to Australia as an enemy alien on the notorious ship HMT Dunera. In 1942, Boschwitz was allowed to return to England, but the ship MV Abosso was torpedoed and Boschwitz was killed together with 41 other returnees. And that biography comes from the Center for Jewish History, who holds uh, some of his papers. It was translated by Philip Bohm who is a white American playwright, theater director, and literary translator. He is the founder of the Upstream Theater in St. Louis and has written several plays and has translated over 30 novels and plays by German and Polish writers. He has also translated nonfiction works such as A Woman in Berlin, which his work has been honored with many awards. So The Passenger, I became aware of through a release announcement, I think through Goodreads. I noticed it was available as a giveaway and entered, and uh, before I received my copy, saw it reviewed in several other places, including the Jewish Book Council had reviewed it. And The Passenger is about Otto Silberman, a middle-aged, respected businessman, a veteran of the World War, and Jewish. Unfortunately for him, he lives in Germany in the 1930s. As our story opens, Otto Silberman has become the other. The passenger follows Silberman over the course of five days where he tries to form a plan to survive as he journeys through Germany by train. So this is a definite case of a historical fiction or historic work where you should read the introduction after you've read the full novel, unless you're just curious about the book in general, but the, the novel definitely will spoil some of the tale for you. At its center, the book is about what it means to belong. At the start of the story, Silberman is going through his last normal day. He just doesn't realize it. For after he meets with his business partner and then makes his way home, his world is uh, forever reshaped by what occurs. And the rest of the book focuses on Silberman as he constantly fights between 
giving in to his normal habits as he traveled around for business and survival, realizing that while he might pass for an Aryan man, he has to be extra cautious not to fall astray in front of any of the officials. And one important note I can give you about the history of the book without necessarily throwing off any of the, the novel itself is that it, it was published in 1939, and uh, Boschwitz wrote this in the aftermath of the Night of Broken Glass or Kristallnacht. So it alludes to a greater fate for those othered or found to be non-Aryan, but it does not know how prescient it was. Our second book of the episode, Salvation Day, takes us to space. It is written by Callie Wallace, a white American fiction writer. She holds a doctorate in geophysics and a background in geology. She attended the 2010 Clarion Writers Workshop and has devoted herself to writing. Her short fiction has appeared in Clark's World, Fantasy and Science Fiction, Asimov's, Lightspeed, and Tor.com, among others. To date, she has published five books, with the latest being Dead Space, which was released in March of 2021. I came across this book through a book riot article titled The Call is Coming from Inside the Spaceship that was published in March 2021. Salvation Day is set in a dystopian future. The House of Wisdom, a massive exploration vessel, has been abandoned and left in Earth orbit after a deadly virus broke out and killed all but one of the crew. But now a cult seeking a future off Earth has kidnapped that survivor, Jazzwinder Bhattacharya, in the hopes of securing their future. But when the ship was brought out of stasis, so did whatever it was that killed the crew, too. So Salvation Day is engrossing. I pretty much read this in roughly one sitting, or at least one whole evening. Uh, it changes viewpoints between one of the cult members, uh, named Zara, and Jazzwinder, and occasionally the perspective of others who are with them. Uh, it is a medical horror mystery playing out in a science fiction setting. So the beginning, of the setup of the book is uh, there's a shuttle of young hopefuls going off to space station to start their internships in the very beginnings of their career now that they've completed school. And the cultists capture that shuttle and divert it to the House of Wisdom. And then things occur and the group, the rest of the story largely takes place on that, that ship, the House of Wisdom. So it is a medical horror mystery playing out in a science fiction space setting. So while they're on the House of Wisdom, Jazz was the sole survivor. So he's reliving his buried memories as they explore the ship. So he's remembering what it was like to be on the ship, discovering what happened to, to the people who were left behind that he didn't know about. And some of them are in, found in and rather surprising states that uh, certainly leads him to to have almost a breakdown as he's exploring the ship. So if you recall from uh, an earlier episode, uh, the Children of Time focused on an arc ship setting out from an older Earth with an academic need to translate. And there are some similarities in this. So there's an arc ship involved in the plot, and uh, the work of an academic does play into it, particularly as you learn more about Zara's background. But not wishing to spoil too much, I'll leave that to you if this sounds interesting. 
Our third book of the episode is Plunder, a memoir of family property and Nazi treasure. It is by Menachem Kaiser, a white Canadian Jewish writer. He holds a BA from Columbia and an MFA from the University of Michigan. He was also a Fulbright Fellow to Lithuania. His writings have appeared in the Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic, Vogue, and elsewhere. I learned of this book through a review in Book Pages magazine, I think for the February issue. In 2015, Menachem Kaiser learned that his grandfather, a Holocaust survivor who died before Menachem's birth, had tried for 30 years to be compensated for property belonging to the family in Poland. This book was Kaiser's journey to uncover his family's history in Poland and work to reclaim that property through the Polish legal system. In Menachem's own word from his personal web page, plunder, it's hard to summarize plunder. It's a lovely mess. And Menachem covers a wide swath of topics. He discusses his family history outside of Poland and his youth in Canada, and then his discovery of his grandfather's property and his hiring of counsel in Poland, nicknamed here the killer, and the journey the killer took through the courts to try and establish his right to reclaim the property. But his research also discovered an unknown history of a relative who had survived, a distant relative who too had survived the Holocaust, but had written about a memoir about his time working in secret Nazi uh, bunker or tunnel projects, which made him a celebrity to a group of Silesian treasure hunters. So it's with the treasure hunters that uh, Kaiser seems to spend the most time because he makes those connections and explores the different sites and visits them at their different gatherings where the treasure hunters get together to talk about their finds, drink, and, and relax. And he also does go on some tours to the secret Nazi tunnel complexes with those treasure hunters and gets personal tours of their collection. They also work to bring him those surviving witnesses. So an elderly, at one point, an elderly German soldier is brought to Menachem so he can do an interview. But at the center of the book is the question of legacy. So is Menachem's own family, the legacy of World War II in Poland, and in general, the legacy of memory. So we see the treasure hunters looking for relics and recalling a time, a different time. We see Menachem remembering his family and the things that have not survived the family lore that he found through separate resources. And in Poland, we see the often contested way World War II and the activities of some of the, the Polish people is remembered, remembered or contested. Our fourth book is How to Run or Ruin a Record Label. The spelling of that one is R-U parentheses I parentheses N, a record label. So it's, it has both meanings going for it at the same time. And this is by Larry Livermore, a white American singer, musician, record producer, and author. He is best known as the co-founder of Lookout Records, which is the focus of this book. And honestly, I have no idea where I've heard it, initially heard of this book. It's been on my reading list since I first started using Goodreads in 2013 or 14, but I finally was able to read a copy of this through my local library having a hoopla. 
and How to Ruin a Record Label is Livermore's memoir about the rise and fall of California's Lookout Records. And that is very much a story of the right person in the right place. Livermore, and certainly his partners, he didn't do this all on his own, set out to document the do-it-yourself East Bay punk rock scene. So it talks about Livermore's own musical projects, those he was working with regularly in different venues, and then the in the early days of the label, the foundational bands that helped set the focus for Lookout, such as Operation Ivy, some of whom members went on to form the punk band Rancid, as well as Green Day, which is a name probably most of people familiar with American music listening to this are familiar with. So I'd recommend this for those interested in how record labels used to function or fans of the, any of the bands on Lookout Records. And particular ones that are discussed throughout the book are Operation Ivy, Green Day, The Mr. T Experience, Avail, The Queers, or Screeching Weasel, among many others. Like Ted Leo does come up, but unfortunately only in passing. And the functioning of Lookout Records itself is very interesting to hear about, particularly with how rec or how artist-friendly it was. Despite legal advice, uh, it does talk about how Livermore prioritized the band's free will over the profitability of the label, something I considered a, could have been a partial inspiration maybe for Jeff Rickley's Collect Records, if not just Jeff Rickley's own awareness of the industry. Aside from discussing the rise of the label, Livermore also talks about life on tour, writing his own zines and for Maximum Rock and Roll and Punk Planet, and the way the different organizations in that California scene work together or not. But most of the book is centered on managing relations. So again, within the community, like all those different zines and venues, with the bands and other record labels, because at different points, Livermore talks about his relations with Fat Mike of Fat Records or Brett from uh, Brett Gutierrez, I think is the Bad Religions guitarist who runs Epitaph Records. And then also the relationships with the Lookout employees, particularly as it grew. And the timeline covers the rise of punk that broke in the early 90s with Green Day through the decline of recorded music and the rise of the internet and Lookout as a smaller label struggling with that transition. And it also continually brings up how difficult it can be to balance a personal life and a very demanding career. For much of this book, Larry Livermore is Lookout and Lookout is him. So something to remember in our own lives that we do need to set and keep boundaries. And our final book of this episode is Gideon Falls. So I'll be talking about the whole series, but I've listed volume one, The Black Barn, as the starting place. So the Gideon Falls is by Jeff Lemire, uh, a white Canadian comic book writer and artist. He has authored many works for Marvel, DC Vertigo, Image, and Dark Horse comics, and received many awards, including a 2017 Eisner Award for the World of Black Hammer series. Jeff worked closely with artist Andrea Sorrento, an Italian comic book artist known for his work for DC, Marvel, and Image Comics, including work on Green Arrow, The Uncanny X-Men, and Old Man Logan. In 2005, alongside Lemire, they were awarded an Eisner Award for this series. The Gideon Falls series also features the work of Dave Stewart as colorist, Steve Wands letterer, and editor Will Dennis. 
So I first became aware of Gideon Falls through AV Club's best comics list from 2019, but I'd also been a fan of Jeff Lemire's work, such as the series Sweet Tooth or the standalone graphic novels Trillium or Underwater Welder. So Gideon Falls is an intelligent horror story not driven by gore, but exploring the nature of evil. So the premise for the first volume is the legend of the Black Barn tells an otherworldly building that has appeared and reappeared throughout history, bringing death and madness in its wake. Now it's mystery and snares and entwines the lives of two very different men. One, a young recluse obsessed with finding hidden clues within the city's trash, and the other, a washed-up Catholic priest finding his place in a small town that hides dark secrets. Neither of them are prepared for what's inside the Black Barn. And while at times the series can be very violent, as suggested in that description, and particularly the starting sentence, it is not driven by the gore. It is very much focused on the mystery. And the first volume is fairly slow-burning, but if you find the series as uh, a collection of the first three volumes, that would certainly hook you in. Uh, I am only currently halfway through the series. I just finished volume three and thought to include the series in this podcast. And the artwork is amazingly well done. It does a wonderful job of setting uh, the scene and atmosphere, and particularly with some of the set pieces, how they've been, the illustration paneling has been set out. It's very wonderfully, and um, I find it has helped me immerse myself much more in the setting, even though I was reading most of these volumes uh, through an e-reader screen. So it is a fixed story arc that has already concluded. So it's just a six-volume series. So there's no chance for the initial mystery to be watered down by the meandering of later thoughts. Like Lemire and Sorrento entered this with a clear end goal. It's not like Lost, where we'll just keep going and the mystery will expand. This has a fixed plot narrative. And it's a great blend of many tropes. So we have alternate reality, unstable protagonists, the mysterious out unknown, and the value or use of faith. A few books to look forward for our next episode are first The Rose Code by Kate Quinn, who you might recognize that name as the author of The Alice Network and The Huntress. For The Rose Code, it focuses on a World War II story of three female codebreakers at Bletchley Park and the spy they must root out after the war is over. I've just started this and I'm about 30 pages in, but expect at some point, like Quinn's other books, I'll get sucked in. Our other coming soon book is Ordinary Insanity, Fear and the Silent Crisis of Motherhood in America by Sarah Menkadik. So this is, uh, the official description is, fear among new mothers is a growing but largely unrecognized crisis. In the months before and after birth, countless women suffer from overwhelming feelings of fear, grief, or obsession that do not fall neatly within the outmoded category of postpartum depression. These women are left isolated and captive, fending for themselves with scarce resources for their care and precious little time or support as they attempt to distinguish normal worry from debilitating anxiety. This crippling state of madness, though sometimes temporary, is commonly left untreated and perhaps even more dangerously treated as a taboo in our culture. So we'll be hearing more about both those books when next we check in about two weeks. Thanks for listening.
This has been another episode of Book Club of One. Thank you for listening. I welcome constructive criticism and book recommendations, or even if you found a book through this episode and want to share the story, feel free to reach out through Instagram and Gmail at Book Club of Uno. Book Club of One is recorded and distributed by Anchor.fm. And remember, no one should be shamed for reading.